How many of you know what day today is? Don't say Sunday. What day is it on the Christian calendar? It's Pentecost Sunday. If you don't have any clue what that means, don't worry about it. I said that to somebody this week. We were talking and I said, they said, boy, Sunday's going to be a great day. I said, yeah, I, I can't wait. You know, it's Pentecost Sunday. And they just looked at me, you know, like an old cow looking at a new gate. And they were like, you know, they didn't know what I was talking about. That's all right. I'm going to explain it to you today. The Bible says in Leviticus, and don't turn here, but in Leviticus chapter 23, and also in Exodus 32, uh, we get instructions for the Israelites to hold an annual festival, uh, a one-day festival, and that festival was supposed to take place 50 days or seven weeks after Passover. So 50 days after the Passover celebration would be the Feast of Pentecost, and, or the Feast of Weeks. So we know that Jesus was crucified on Passover weekend. So that means 50 days or seven weeks after Easter is Pentecost Sunday. So Easter was seven weeks ago, if you can believe that. It's Pentecost Sunday today. And I want to tell you what Pentecost means because there's probably some people in the room here that have heard the word Pentecost. And when you hear that word, there's some connotations that come to mind. And it has nothing to do with an Israelite feast. You know, you knew some folks that, that were Pentecostal. And you thought, uh, well, Pentecost might describe, uh, you know, some outward antic. Maybe it's, you know, maybe it's a, a style of, of worship. Maybe Pentecost is like a denomination or something like that. You don't want to know what Pentecost means? Get ready for it. Fifty. That's what it means. It means 50. The 50th day after Passover. That's what Pentecost is. But I want to talk to you today on this Pentecost Sunday about something that I want to see happen in your heart and in my heart. The annual festival uh, of Pentecost, it included sacrifices. And at Pentecost, which was, as I've said, also the Feast of Weeks, the Israelite farmers would start uh, making their pilgrimage towards uh, Jerusalem to bring the first fruits offering. So on Pentecost, they would actually begin to make their pilgrimage towards Jerusalem to give their offering. Now, here's what you need to understand about them going towards Jerusalem. Their understanding of Jerusalem was more than just a holy city or a significant place. It was synonymous with the presence of God. So here's the, here's the parallel to our lives today. When they would decide on Pentecost to make their way toward Jerusalem, there was an intentional action step to move towards the presence of God. So here's my prayer for you today. Here's my prayer for everyone in this room, in this service, that today, Pentecost Sunday, 2016, that you and I take an intentional step to move towards the presence of God. This is a day of action. It, now, they, they might have, you know, leading up to Pentecost, made preparations. They may have thought about making the trip. I'm sure they packed some bags. I'm sure they got some things in order. They prepared. But when Pentecost came, it was action time. It was time to actually move towards the presence of God. And that's my prayer for us today. Why do we celebrate Pentecost Sunday? 
Well, it's not because of the Jewish festival necessarily. Though you could. You could celebrate the Jewish festivals and you'd probably find some significance in those. But the reason that we celebrate it is for the same reason that that Jesus repurposed uh, Passover. He really didn't repurpose it. He gave it its significance that uh, through Jesus we have an understanding in the same way that we do of Passover of Pentecost. Now with Passover, and and we won't take time to go into all of the history of it, but just in a sense of overview, Passover was a celebration of the children of Israel coming out of bondage in Egypt. When God delivered them on the night that the death angel moved through Egypt and, and killed the firstborn as a sign of judgment, everyone who had the Passover lamb that they had consumed in their home and put the blood of the lamb over their doorpost was saved. And so to commemorate that moment of salvation... They had the Passover festival year after year after year. Of course, we know Jesus came and gave his life as the perfect lamb of God. He became the sacrificial lamb. When he died, it was not coincidental that it happened on Passover weekend. He shared the feast with his disciples. And a few hours later, he was hanging on the cross, the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. And so now when we think about Passover and when we celebrate communion and when we celebrate Easter, we don't think about a Jewish festival. Maybe you do, but I don't really think about uh, God delivering me out of bondage in Egypt. But I do think about God delivering me out of bondage from sin. He's reshaped it in my mind. It has significance to me that it didn't have before because of what Jesus has done. In the same way, Pentecost, as I said, is 50 days or seven weeks after Passover. After Jesus rose from the grave, the Bible says this in Acts chapter 1. The Bible says that he appeared for some 40 days. So for some 40 days, Jesus was On the earth, in his resurrected body, nail scars in his hands and his side. He was walking through walls. He was talking to people. He was sitting down and eating meals with them for 40 days. Now, some people didn't know that. They thought, like, Jesus came up out of the grave and everybody was like, look, there's Jesus. And then he went up into heaven. Not how it happened. For 40 days, people saw him. There were eyewitnesses by the thousands. And after 40 days, the Bible says he did ascend back into heaven but the bible tells us that something incredible happened before he went up into heaven he told his disciples in acts he said i want you to go to jerusalem and i want you to wait for the promise of the father wait for the promise that i told you about we're going to talk about that promise this morning but the bible says they went to jerusalem and they waited and they prayed and they gathered together and they didn't do anything else except wait until they received the promise and then acts chapter 2 says acts 2 1 On the day of Pentecost, they were all gathered together in one accord. And suddenly, there was the sound of a mighty rushing wind. And the Bible says tongues like fire. Fire came and separated and lit up on all of them. The people began to speak with with new tongues. What was this incredible experience? It was what they had waited for for some ten days. It is what Jesus had promised them. It was the fulfillment. And it happened... On the day of Pentecost. And so Jesus has reformed my picture in my mind. What the day of Pentecost really means. It used to be a celebration of the entrance into the promised land. Now Jesus has repurposed the occasion. That it is a celebration of the entrance of the promised one. The Holy Spirit came and and descended on the church. 
And we celebrate that entrance, our entrance into the fullness of the Spirit. That's the invitation of of Pentecost, that you can have a full, Spirit-filled life in Jesus Christ. I, I want you to hear this statement right here at the onset of this message. Pentecost has always been about moving toward God and all that He has promised for you. That's what Pentecost has always been about. That's what it was about in the Old Testament when they were bringing the first fruits offering. That's what it's about in the New Testament as they were seeking the baptism in the Holy Spirit. They were seeking the the promise of the Father. That's what it is for us today on Pentecost Sunday. It has always been about pursuing all that God has for us. And I want to encourage you today. God wants you to come into His presence. That's what, that's what he wants for you. He wants you to come into his presence. The greatest promise that we have outside of our personal salvation is the promise of the Holy Spirit. And so this morning, I, I want to take some time to answer some questions. Now, I'm not taking questions from you. I've, I've assumed your questions, all right? But let me also say this. I'm also assuming I'm not going to answer all your questions. There's no way, I mean, unless you just want to stay, you know, and let me preach into the night like Paul the Apostle did, you know, when Eutychus fell out of the window because he preached so long. I don't want that happening. So in an hour, there's no way that I could answer every question. But I want to try to, I want to try to answer some today. And I want to begin by explaining to you why this what the Bible calls the baptism in the Holy Spirit. I want to explain why it's so important and why I think you should seek it. First thing you need to understand is this. There's three different baptisms. Now, now I've taught this before, but this is something that I... I see so many people that don't understand this, and, and this is really important that we grasp. There is three different baptisms in the Bible. And so I want to just... Start with an understanding of that. First of all, let's, let's grab a hold of what this word baptism is. Now, a couple weeks ago, we, we had people baptized in water. And as a church, when we baptize people, they are fully submerged, in, immersed in the water. Now, there are, there are some uh, churches that just sprinkle people with water. But let me tell you why we immerse people in water the whole way under the water, because the word baptized in the Greek is the word baptizo. And what it means is this. It means to dip or to immerse or overwhelm. That's what the word means. So when they were translating the Bible out of Greek, they didn't translate the word the word baptizo, they just transliterated it. They just made a new word that sounded like the Greek word. They came up with baptism, baptize. The word is baptizo, and it means to immerse. And so that's why we immerse you in water when you get water baptized. So here's what a baptism requires. Two things. Number one, it requires a medium. It requires something to be baptized in, like water. The second thing it requires is an agent. Somebody to do the baptizing. We don't just send people into the water to baptize themselves. No, I get in there with them. So there's three baptisms. The first one is the baptism of salvation. The Bible talks about the baptism of salvation. 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. I'm going to be in Corinthians a lot today. So, 1 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 13. 
Here's what it says. For we were all baptized by one spirit. So as to form one body. Whether Jews or Gentiles, slaves or free. You see that? This verse, it refers to salvation. That's what it's talking about. We were all baptized into one body. It means we, we were saved. When you put your trust in Jesus Christ, when you make Him the Lord of your life, that's what this is talking about. We were baptized by one Spirit. So the medium that we're immersed into is the body of Christ. Here's what it says. We were baptized by one Spirit so as to form one body. So you're baptized into the body of Christ. You know, we just finished an eight-week series called I Love My Church. I want to tell you, if, if there's somebody that professes to be a Christian and they say, I love Jesus, but they don't, they don't love the church, they don't like the church, they don't want anything to do with the church, I'm going to tell you, there's something wrong. There's something wrong with that picture. Because when we're baptized into salvation, we become a part of the family of God. We're baptized by one spirit. He's the agent. You say, who baptizes us in salvation? The Spirit. The Holy Spirit baptizes you in Jesus. Did you know that? The Holy Spirit is the agent. The medium is the body of Christ. Through salvation, we are baptized into the body of Christ. The Bible says this in Titus chapter 3 and verse 5. It says, He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit. By the Holy Spirit. So the agent is the Holy Spirit. The medium of of salvation, of course, is through Jesus. We're baptized into the church. Let me tell you the second baptism. That's the one that you would probably most quickly think of. It's baptism in water. It's water baptism. The Bible says this in Matthew chapter 28, verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son, and of the Holy Spirit. That's water baptism. Make disciples of all nations, and then baptize them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit. Water baptism is an act of obedience following our salvation. And we've we've talked about this uh, a couple of weeks ago, as we saw it illustrated on New Life Sunday. But when somebody steps into the waters of baptism, they're, they're making a public... Uh, picture. They're identifying what God has done. And, and it's, it's more than just making a public statement of identification. It's saying literally the old life is buried with Jesus. I'm going into the water. My old life is buried with Christ and I'm coming out a new person. The old is gone. Behold, all things have become new. So the medium for water baptism is water. We're immersed in water. The agent for water baptism are the disciples, the pastor, a spiritual leader. We're the ones that are to baptize believers in water. But there's a third baptism, and that's the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Now listen to what the Word says in Acts chapter 1. Acts chapter 1, verse 4 and 5, talks about this third baptism. And it says, On one occasion... While he was eating with them, speaking of Jesus, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you now have heard me speak about. 
Verse 5. For John baptized with water. But in a few days, you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. Now he's talking to his disciples who had already experienced the baptism of salvation. They were saved. But he mentions the other two baptisms in this one verse. He says, John baptized with water. But in a few days, you're going to receive a different baptism. You're going to be baptized with the Holy Spirit. What is Jesus saying? Jesus is saying, guys, what you're about to get is different than what you've already gotten. This is different. This is separate. The medium for spirit baptism uh, into which we're baptized is the Holy Spirit. We're baptized in the Holy Spirit. Some people say, uh, I got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And that's actually not correct. Because the Holy Spirit baptizes us in Christ at salvation. The Holy Spirit's baptism is salvation. But Jesus, John said, I baptize you with water, but one is coming after me who will baptize you with the Spirit and with fire. Jesus is the one, he's the agent, who baptizes us in the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit is the medium for spirit baptism. The water is the medium for water baptism. The church is what we're baptized into in salvation. Now, I want to show you a verse real quick where all three of these baptisms are mentioned in one place. And I want to put it on the screen out of the New King James uh, because I think it says it the most clearly. And here's what it says in 1 John chapter 5, verse 7 and 8. It says, For there are three that bear witness in heaven, the Father, the Word, now, we know who the Word is. John 1 says, in the beginning was the Word. The Word was God. The Word was with God. That's Jesus. Jesus is the Word of God. So, three in heaven. The Word, the Father, and the Holy Spirit. And these three are one. How many of you already knew that was true? Father, Son, Holy Spirit, God, three, one. That's the Trinity. These three are in heaven, and they agree. But then listen to the next verse. It says, and there are three that bear witness on the earth. The spirit, the water, and the blood. That's the three baptisms I just mentioned to you. The spirit, that's Holy Spirit baptism. The water, that's water baptism. And the blood, that's salvation. The Bible says there's no, there's no uh, forgiveness of sin without the shedding of blood. Jesus shed his blood for our salvation. So here we see the spirit, the water, and the blood. And these three agree. Three baptisms. And all three of them bear witness on the earth, it says. And I'm going to tell you what they bear witness to. They bear witness to the spirit-filled life that God wants each and every believer to have. A life that is full of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. So... Let me try to answer some questions that maybe, maybe you have. First question. Do you need all three baptisms to go to heaven? No. I'm like, whew. No. In fact, the only baptism you need to go to heaven is the first one. You need salvation. No other name given under heaven by which men must be saved than the name of Jesus. If you've been baptized into salvation, if you've made Jesus the Lord of your life, you're going to heaven. You know, when, when people ask questions about what do you have to do 
to be saved. The first illustration I always think of is the thief on the cross. You remember there were two thieves hanging on the cross beside Jesus. One of them was, was cursing and mocking Jesus to his death. The other, realizing in this moment that he was dying next to deity, looked over at Jesus and said, Remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus looked at that man with love in his eyes. And he said, This day you will be with me in paradise. So whenever somebody says you have to do certain things to go to heaven, I think about, well, what did that guy do? Nothing. Except believe. And then when I think, well, do I have to be baptized in water to go to heaven? Well, did he get baptized in water? No. He certainly didn't get baptized in the Holy Spirit. He got saved, though. And in that moment, he gave his life to Jesus. And that's all you need to get to heaven. The other two baptisms are not about getting to heaven. The other two baptisms are about living life more abundantly on the earth. While you're here in a body, water baptism is burying the old sinful nature, cutting off the old man and living a new life. Spirit baptism is about receiving power to be an effective witness. It's about receiving uh, the endowment of power, the energy, the strength, the equipping, the gifting that God has for you to do what he's called you to do. All three of these baptisms are illustrated in the Old Testament. In a way that is just so clear. In, in the Old Testament, as the priest would enter into the presence of the Lord, he would have to go into the inner courts. And once they'd get inside the inner courts, in the very back of the inner courts was what was called the Holy of Holies. There was the holy place and the most holy place. That was the spot where God said he would dwell. I mean, I talked about how people came to Jerusalem and associated that with the place of meeting with God. Well, this was the particular spot on the map where God said he would be right there between the cherubs over the altar. God's presence would be there. And so for them to approach God, to draw near to God, there was three things that they had to do. As they came into the inner courts, the first thing they did is they stopped at an altar. And they made a sacrifice on the altar. They would sacrifice the lamb. That's the blood. That's salvation. You, you don't approach God without that. And so they would stop at the altar and they would, they would make a sacrifice and, and, and the, the blood of the lamb would, would cover the sins. But then they would go from there and there was a second spot that they would go to as they progressed into the inner courts and that was the laver. It was a, it was a bolt. A bowl that sat there, and you know what they did at the bowl? It was full of water, and they washed. That's water baptism. They would wash in the water. And then there was one more step. Now, a lot of people don't think that there's another step. A lot of people think, well, I've, I've been saved, and I got baptized, and, and that's it. But there's another baptism. And there was another step as they progressed towards the presence of God. There was a flask, and in the flask was oil, and they would anoint them with oil. And the oil, all throughout the Bible, it represents the presence of the Holy Spirit. It's, it's why we have a little vessel of oil that sits right up here at the altar, and oftentimes when we pray for one another, we do exactly what the Bible says we should do. We anoint the sick with oil. We pray the prayer of faith, and the Bible says they shall recover. The oil represents the Spirit. So right here we see all, 
all three baptisms, as they moved in, and what were they moving towards? The Holy of Holies. They were moving into the presence of God. They wanted to be close to God. Can I just say this again this morning? Pentecost has always been about getting into the presence of God and receiving everything that He has for you. That's God's plan. Let me answer another question. And this is a good question. I've heard people ask this before. Don't I already have the Holy Spirit if I'm saved? Yes, you do. And that's why a lot of people have been confused. When you start talking about the baptism in the Holy Spirit, and you're going, wait, well, that church over there says that I need to be baptized in the Holy Spirit, but, but I thought I already had the Spirit of God. And you do. When you receive Christ, and maybe you even said these words, maybe you said, come into my heart. You know you weren't talking about the the Son of Man. You weren't talking about asking a 33-year-old Jewish man to come and live inside of you. It was the Spirit of Jesus that you were welcoming in. The Spirit of Jesus is the Spirit of God. It's the Holy Spirit. And so when you got saved, when you asked Jesus to come into your heart, then Jesus' Spirit comes to you he walks with you he leads you he guides you he directs your life and so jesus taught though that there's a difference between receiving the spirit of salvation and receiving the baptism in the holy spirit and the only the best way i can communicate the difference is to just show you what jesus said it's in john chapter 14 We're going to look at this because it's just so clear. But there's a lot of people, they don't pursue the baptism in the Holy Spirit because they believe, I've already got the Spirit of God. If you're saved, the Spirit of God lives inside your heart. I don't care if you're Pentecostal, Baptist, Methodist, or whatever. If you're truly saved, if you've been through the baptism of salvation, the Spirit baptized you, one Spirit, into the body of Christ, then you have the Spirit of God. But a lot of people stop there and they don't think God has anything more for them because they say, well, Jesus lives in my heart. But look at what Jesus said in John chapter 14, verse 15 through 17. He said this to his disciples and to us, if you love me, keep my commands and I will ask the Father and he will give you another. Can we all say another? Another advocate to help you And be with you forever. The spirit of truth. That's one of the names of the Holy Spirit. The spirit of truth. And then he says what some people were already thinking. The world cannot accept him. Because it neither sees him nor knows him. But you know him. For he lives with you. He was talking to saved people. You know the Holy Spirit because he lives with you. He's with you. And, he says, he will be in you. You know the Holy Spirit, he's with you, but he will be in you. Listen, Jesus' disciples, I mean, this is like the Passover. This is the Last Supper. Jesus is about to go to the cross. They've spent three and a half years with him. They've performed miracles. They've cast demons out of people. They've seen the dead raised. These guys are saved. They know the Spirit. He's been with them. But Jesus says, I'm going to send you another, another advocate. I'm going to send you another advocate. That word another is the word alos. It means another of the same kind. 
That's really important too because you know what? There's some people, they don't want the baptism of the Holy Spirit because they're afraid they're going to get something weird or scary. Or maybe somebody even told them before that, you know what? When you start opening yourself up to the Spirit, man, you might get a demon or a devil trafficking in your life. And people actually believe that they've opened themselves up to the potential of God allowing a demon to possess them while they're seeking more of God. That's not what's going to happen to you. Jesus said, I'm going to send you another advocate. In other words, he's going to be like me. You know him already. He's been with you. He's going to be like me. He's, you don't have to worry about seeking anything from Jesus. And Jesus said, he's going to be like me. Not going to shock you or surprise you. I'm going to send another advocate. And he said this. He said this. It says that he's not a spirit. He's the spirit. This is the spirit of God. The spirit of truth. And he says the spirit lives with you and he will be in you. What, that just means there, there's more than salvation. That means that the salvation that you experience, that baptism, there's, there's more than that. There's something more that the spirit wants to do in your life. Let me just give you a couple of scriptures real quick to, to, to answer this question. Luke chapter 24 and verse 49. Jesus said, I'm going to send you what my father has promised. Again, talking to the disciples. I'm going to send you what my father has promised. But stay in the city until you've been clothed with power from on high. This is Jesus again saying, there's something more. I know you're saved. I know you heard the Great Commission. I know you're ready to go out and reach the lost. Stay in the city until you receive, until you've been clothed with power. Acts 1, I'm going to look at it again, uh, verse 4 and 5. It says, on one occasion while they were eating, he gave them this command. Do not leave Jerusalem, but wait for the gift my father promised, which you have heard me speak about. For John baptized with water, but in a few days you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit. And then just a couple verses later, in Acts chapter 1 verse 8, it says, But when the Holy Spirit comes upon you, you will receive power. You'll receive power when? When the Holy Spirit comes. In other words, you don't have it yet. I, I know, I know you, you cast out devils, and I know you preach, and I know you've been with me for three and a half years, but there's something more that I want you to have, and you don't have it yet. So wait in Jerusalem. Don't leave the city. Stay there. And when the Holy Spirit comes on you, you will receive power and you will be my witnesses in Jerusalem, Judea, and the uttermost parts of the earth. Do you have to have the Holy Spirit baptism to be saved? Absolutely not. But why wouldn't you want it if you're going to live another day on this earth? Because it's to equip us for power, for ministry. Let me answer another question. What if I don't have the gift of speaking in tongues? Oh, there's that word that we were waiting for. What is that all about? What if, what if I don't have the gift of speaking in tongues? That's a valid question because there's a lot of confusion when you read the Bible. If you haven't, well, there's a lot of confusion about what even is the gift of tongues. And, and I want to go right, right to the solid reasoning for that question what if i don't have the gift of tongues the bible says in first corinthians chapter 12 we're going to start in verse 7 first corinthians chapter 12 verse 7 it says now to each one 
talking about the body of Christ, all of us here, if you're saved. Now to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. Can I just pause and say, side note, that even if you're not baptized with the Holy Spirit, if you're a child of God, you ought to manifest the Spirit of God in some way. Like, if there's nothing about your life that manifests the Spirit of God, you need to, you know, check your spiritual pulse. Because the Bible says now, to each one, the manifestation of the Spirit is given for the common good. And I'm trying to move on, but let me just stop one more time on this verse. It's for the common good. So if you've got a gift, and it's not blessing the church, don't exercise that gift here. Because the gifts that God is giving, the Spirit, the Spirit is giving the church, is for the common good. When you exercise your gift from God, it's going to bless all of us. It's for the common good. All right, let me read on. Verse 8, it says, To one, there is given through the Spirit a message of wisdom. Maybe you got the, the gift of that, a message of wisdom. To another, a message of knowledge by means of the same Spirit. One Spirit, different gifts. Verse 9, to another, faith by the same Spirit. To another, gifts of healing by the one Spirit. Boy, I've prayed for that gift so many times. Sometimes God heals. Sometimes I pray for people and nothing happens. I can't understand it, but the Bible says seek the gift. So I just keep praying and I keep laying hands on people. But maybe you've got the gift of healing. I pray you do. You need to get on the altar team. He goes a little farther and he says, verse 10, to another, miraculous powers, to another, prophecy, to another, distinguishing between spirits. Now listen to this part, to another, speaking in different kinds of tongues, and still to another, the interpretation of tongues. All of these are the work of one and the same spirit, and he distributes them to each one just as he has determined. Now, if you just read that verse, here's what that says to me. Everybody that's saved gets a gift from the Holy Spirit. Some of us get the gift of tongues. Some of us get the gift of interpretation of tongues. Some of us, maybe you have the gift of giving or of miracles or something else, but it would be easy just reading that verse to say, you know what? I, I'm not seeking the, the, the tongues thing because that's not my gift. And that's, that's just a, an easy enough to read it and say, okay, well, that, that's not my gift. And I've heard people say that before. They don't want the baptism of the Holy Spirit because that's not their gift. But here's what I want you to understand quickly. That there's a difference between the gift of tongues, which we just read about. And that is a gift we've seen in operation in this church. There are times where God gives somebody a word in a foreign language. And they begin to speak that word. Somebody else has the gift of interpretation and they interpret what was just said, and it edifies the church. Now, if it doesn't happen that way, Paul says it doesn't edify anybody, and you probably shouldn't have done it to begin with. But it's in there, and it happens in the body of Christ, and we want to see those things happen. We pursue the gifts. But you could read that one text and say, well, I don't have a gift. And here's what you need to understand. The gift of tongues, as I just described, is different from a personal prayer language, which I would maybe call the grace of tongues. It's different. Speaking in tongues out loud in the public worship service is the operation of a spiritual gift. You ought to have that gift if you're doing it. But every spirit-filled Christian, every spirit-filled Christian has access to a personal prayer language with God. 
I want to give you a verse here. This is Paul. He's, he's teaching us what this is like in 1 Corinthians chapter 14. And, and here's what he says in verse 18 and 19. Because he was, he was so adamant about doing it properly and in order that maybe people would have thought he was against tongues. And maybe some of you are thinking, well, maybe Pastor Aaron's against it because the way that I'm communicating. But Paul kind of steps back and, and gives a perspective statement here. In 1 Corinthians chapter 14, in verse 18, he says, I thank God that I speak in tongues more than you all. Oh. Okay. But then verse 19, but in the church, I would rather speak five intelligible words to instruct others than 10,000 words in a tongue. The reason he said it is because it's my personal prayer language. I use it all the time. I pray, I pray in my prayer language every day. Paul was saying, I pray in tongues more than all of you. But when we come together to church, if I just stood up there and babbled and nobody understood it, that would not bless anybody. You can read all of chapter 14 and he, he, he speaks extensively about this. But what he says is, yes, it's my personal prayer language. I pray in, in my prayer language all the time but when i come with you i would rather say five words that you understand that would actually bless you than ten thousand words in tongues question do i have to speak in tongues to be baptized with the holy spirit let me say this the baptism in the holy spirit is a privilege for believers I already told you it's not a requirement for salvation. It's a privilege for believers. So speaking in tongues is not something you have to do. It's a privilege. It's something you have the opportunity to do by the Spirit's empowerment. Here's here's what it is to receive the baptism in the Holy Spirit. Is to be enabled to have a personal prayer language with God. Now, we've already read Acts 1.8. It says being full of the Spirit means you're given power for effective witnessing. So let me just say on a side note, if you got baptized in the Holy Spirit and you just started praying in tongues, but you've never been a witness to anybody, I don't know if you got the real thing. I mean, you might have just heard somebody else doing it and kind of mimicked them. I wonder about people that, that are quote unquote tongue talkers on Sunday and they're gossips the rest of the week. The Bible says pretty clearly, can good and evil, you know, come from the same place? And some of the people with the the longest, nastiest tongues are some good tongue-talking Christians. And I, I just have to wonder how genuine that experience is. Because while we always emphasize the initial physical evidence of being baptized, which is speaking in new tongues, there's also enduring physical evidence, the fruit of the Spirit. That grows out of your life. And, and so let, let, me, let me just keep this in perspective. Speaking in tongues is a privilege. It's something that you're given the enablement to do when you receive the Holy Spirit. Here, here's what happens. 1 Corinthians, I'm still in chapter 14. Verse 14 says this. If I pray in a tongue, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. Now, here's what we do. We're so negative. 
we always just look at the negative connotation in the statement. So you see that verse, you go, for if I pray in tongues, my spirit prays, but my mind is unfruitful. And we go, see, it's not even fruitful for your mind, so why, why bother doing it? And we miss the incredible blessing in this verse. It says, if I pray in, this, in a tongue, my spirit prays. Did you know your spirit wants to pray? Did you know that, that your, your spirit wants to get beyond your limited mind, your limited vantage point? Your head only prays for the things you can see. But the Bible says, when I pray in tongues, my spirit prays. All of a sudden, my, my spirit cries out to God. And listen to this verse in Romans chapter 8. Here's what happens when my spirit prays. Romans 8.26 says, in the same way, the spirit helps us in our weakness. We do not know what we ought to pray for, but the Spirit Himself intercedes for us through wordless groans. You ever heard somebody pray in the Spirit and it just sounded like wordless groans? You're like, what? What, what? what are they saying? I don't know what they're saying. What are they, what are they doing? They're, they're muttering. They're, they're just, they're muttering. What, what is that? The Bible says the Spirit, our Spirit, prays. And the Holy Spirit prays through us. And here's the best thing about the Holy Spirit praying through us. Look at the next part of that verse. It says, and he who searches our hearts and knows the mind of the Spirit, because the Spirit intercedes for God's people in accordance with the will of God. When we pray in the Spirit, not only is our Spirit praying, we're praying the will of God. When I only let my mind pray, sometimes I'm confused because I don't know the will of God. Sometimes the fact that I don't know the will of God is the very reason I'm praying. But when I begin to let my spirit pray, the Bible says, I begin to pray the will of God. The spirit begins to pray through me. And in doing that, praying in the spirit brings personal edification. Let me give you another verse out of uh, chapter 14, 1 Corinthians 14. Verse 4, here's another verse that we read and we kind of flip it around as a negative statement, but it's not. It says, anyone who speaks in a tongue edifies themselves, but the one who prophesies edifies the church. So see, we read that and we go, see, we should be prophesying because I mean, speaking in tongues isn't good for the church. That only edifies yourself. Can I ask, what's so wrong with being edified? What's so wrong with edifying yourself? No, maybe me speaking in tongues isn't a blessing for you, but you know what it is? It's a blessing for me. The Bible says it edifies me. It edifies myself. I want to encourage you today. Here's how we're going to end this service. This is what Pentecost has always been about. It's about pursuing God and receiving everything that he has for us. Now, I want to take some time next week and I want to talk specifically about this gift of tongues and how all of that is. Today, I don't want you to be limited or or encumbered by any uh, preconceived idea or or maybe even a misconception or having to try to unlearn a a teaching that, that maybe wasn't biblical. I want to take time to look at what the Bible says. But today, on Pentecost Sunday, here's what I want to challenge you to do. I want to challenge you to come before God and say, God, I, I want to move into the Holy of Holies. Now, we know we're not in the old tabernacle. We don't have to go through the doors and we don't have to sacrifice a lamb on the altar or wash our hands in a, in a bowl and we don't have to be anointed with the oil. But 
We do want to get into the place where God's presence dwells. We do want to be at that place where He can fill us with everything that He has for us. And so I want to, I want to invite you at the close of this service. In fact, I have-